Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Uh, we got a fun show for you today. Uh, last week when I reached out to Kyle, he was like, yo, I got a buddy that knows tennis like way more than I do. And if you listen to last week, you realize we didn't really talk that much tennis, which was Kind of a good change of pace considering we're not going to have tennis for a long time anyway. Um, but he was like, I got a buddy, um, Calvin, that knows a lot more about tennis, is more of a tennis junkie. And then I thought back and I was like, actually, yeah, I know Calvin. We work together at the U.S. Open. Um, and I, I believe our jobs at the U.S. Open, we're both player ops, but I think our jobs there were probably the probably the coolest jobs there. Um, and we welcome him, him in now from New Jersey, Calvin Alexander. Calvin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. So what did you do at the U.S. Open? Yeah, so I was a practice court monitor at the U.S. Open. Um, I know I helped you guys out over there in in escorting a little bit as well as needed. But um, yeah, I was a a practice court monitor. Essentially, I was just um, taking care of different scheduling needs, different uh, administrative needs for for players that need to get on certain practice courts um, to warm up before their matches, um, stuff like that. A lot of what I really did was just talking to coaches who were angry that they only had half an hour instead of a full hour on a certain court, or they they had to move because Rafa had a last minute thing that that he needed the court scheduled for. So just putting out fires like that was was a lot of what I did. And um, how many practice courts are there at the National Tennis Center? Isn't there like 17 or something? Yeah, so I'm, I'm struggling to remember the actual number. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick myself for this one. But there are, there are five inside the facility. And then I believe there are 12 more in the park, in Corona Park, just outside of the Billie Jean uh, tennis center. So um, I guess, yeah, maybe 17 in total. Yeah. Yeah. And just to give you guys a visual of what this is, if you haven't been to the U S open, there's like the main grounds and then the locker rooms um, are kind of tucked in a corner in Arthur Ashe stadium in like the corner of the facility. And then right outside of those, right outside of uh, Arthur Ashe and kind of by the grandstand and stuff is five practice courts. And those are kind of like, I don't want to say the show off courts, but those are where all the big players, that's where they all practice because there's seating for them and there's like viewing areas and that's where ESPN is and tennis channel and um, Amazon prime and all that stuff. Um, so people can see them practicing, but then those ones in Corona park he's talking about are like, that's a hall. That's a good, what? 20 minute walk. It's a, it's a, it's a long walk. Yeah. Doing that walk 
midday when you when you need to get there to relieve someone of their shift is, is, is tough for sure yeah so what he would have to do is like talk to these players because sometimes they would be on the one through five which is like maybe a 45 second minute walk from the locker rooms and then if he's got to be like yo like there's a top 10 player that needs this now then these players who are like top 100 in the world maybe or something would have to walk like 20 minutes outside of the park and they'd have to walk through the grounds like all the people with their bags and then they'd have to actually leave you have to leave the park don't you yeah so <laughs> i actually have a, a couple funny stories but one that was particularly funny that i thought i i'm forgetting what her name was now but uh a, a women's player who was in the main draw she thought that her court that she got assigned was in the park because she had seen um <laughs> She had seen the number six and I guess just been told that it was P6 or the number five and told that it was P5 or whatever, whatever it was that the, the, the mix up was. And so she went into the park. I had to redirect her and tell her, you know, there are shuttles that are running that, that make it a little bit easier to get from the park directly back to to the place that you're talking about, to the sort of command center of, of everything where those inner practice courts are but um she was uh she was definitely not happy she wasted at least 15 minutes of her practice time just just walking around the grounds and and these practice times are usually pretty cut and dry like you either get an especially if you're like not if you're not really like a huge name you know you can probably get an hour in there but um luckily for them like they're professional athletes they can do whatever they need in an hour but like you said that wastes 15 minutes of her hour and there's only limited court space and limited time. So she was, you know, screwed out of 15 minutes just for picking the wrong court. But yeah, I think the coolest part about your job was I, I'm, I would way rather watch a practice than a match personally, just because I think it's fascinating how people, how different people practice. But how cool is it kind of because you, you guys were kind of at that gate sometimes at P5. Um, mm -hmm. P1 through five to watch those courts. Like how cool is it to just watch like the best athletes in the world in tennis practice all day? It's, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I've had the privilege of being able to go to the U S open pretty much every year. Cause I, I live very close and uh, those qualifying days are actually free to visitors. So I, I try to get there when I can, but um, so needless to say, I've, I've seen people practice before on those courts, but literally having to check their credentials at that gate, like you said, having to speak to them, being within an earshot of them checking, you know, up on the courts and being able to actually go on those practice courts. It was surreal. I mean, you had Serena Williams uh, on the same bank of courts as Rafa on the same bank of courts as Gail Monfils literally all at the same time they're all coming through the gate chuckling with each other maybe some of them are a little bit you know tired because it's early morning practice they don't want to be out there it's a little cold whatever the case may be um but just seeing all this you know live in person it was just it was it was truly an honor to to work there as corny as that sounds no it, i mean like every day was like a pinch yourself moment there was at least yeah. one or two of those um was this your first year doing that this is my first year at the Open, yeah. Do do you do you think you might you know want to do it again if like, you know if you get, I would like, love work to, permits yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, everything seems to be sort of up in the air with 
with this COVID stuff, but I mean, absolutely. I would love to, to go back. I, I was able to get the job because I, I interned at the USTA actually the summer before last year's U S open. So I got to know some people there and those relationships are still definitely intact. And, and I respect those people so much. And like we were saying, it was definitely like a pinch yourself moment for like four weeks straight, essentially. So I remember I asked Kyle this, but what was your like favorite day of the four weeks? Like, uh, from like, we had like training days with Disney and stuff right off the bat. And then like to, you know, grand slam men's final, what was your favorite day? Yeah. So I remember Kyle said day one of the main draw, which is a great, great answer. Um, I personally, I, I would say that, but I also love the Friday before that qualifying Friday, because it's the last round of qualifying. You have all of these matches that are essentially, you know, if you win this match, you get to be in the main draw of a grand slam of the biggest grand slam. And it's just people that are just so desperate, like working their butts off in these matches and the quality is great as well because you've gone through two matches of qualifying already. So I love those matches. The energy is a little bit up as you've you've sort of amped up throughout the week with with practices as well. So I, I definitely really do like that that Friday before. It's super fun. Yeah, qualies is special too. Like uh, it's so intense. Like cause you, yeah, I mean everyone has to win. It's not like a oh if I lose like I'm still bagging a hundred k and I'm just gonna head home like. You right. got you got to win in qualies to, and everyone's trying to make it. And also that Friday before, all the big names are also there practicing. So, like you have you have all the main draw players are pretty much already in town, and they're all practicing. And then you have these qualies, um, trying to do their thing and make it. Um, let's move on to um, let's skip that. We'll go to what like who's your favorite player? Um, I don't know if it's probably changed <laughs> from like. Because I mine would kind of changed after the U.S. Open a little bit, like uh, mm-hmm. like who I really like to watch. But who like favorite men's and women's? So currently, I would uh, I would have to say actually a bit of a weird answer to start, but Guillermo Garcia Lopez on the men's side, which not a lot of people would know, but wow, he's yeah. So he's a Spanish player. Um, and, you know, he's he's at the, the end of his career at this point in time, but maybe 2014, something like that, he was uh, hovering around the top 20. But essentially why I grew to like him so much is because of the U.S. Open, like you were saying. Um, when I was in those park courts all the time and dealing with players and coaches, he was actually extremely nice to me. I, I do speak Spanish fluently, so I was able to communicate with him through that and whenever I saw him around the grounds or if he had a match before, we would always just share like a little, whatever, two sentence back and forth. And he was just incredibly nice to me in that way. So he definitely became one of my favorite players. Um, he actually qualified for the tournament last, last year, which was super awesome to see lost in the first round, but what can you do? But he made, um, the, draw. He made the draw. That's all that really matters. He made the point. main draw. Especially yes. if you're a quality. Yeah. 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 Um, women's side. So the women's side. Um, yeah, I guess keeping with the Spanish team, I would probably have to say Muguruza is my favorite player. Um, 
she i mean we saw it at the the aussie open this year as well when when she gets on a roll she is impossible to stop i mean kenan barely got through her in that that final which was a great match but but yeah Murusa is she's a super understated sort of quiet person off the court and then on the court she gets these fiery you know she blasts the ball she gets on these crazy runs and grand slams you know i remember i want to say the 2016 french she won and she just barreled through pretty much everyone in that in that tournament and it was just so fun to watch um so yeah, I would I would have to say say she's probably my favorite. Yeah, interesting because everybody I seem to have on here is like, oh, Serena, uh, <laughs> Fed, Rafa, Joker. So I I enjoy the variety because I think I need it. Um, <laughs> I need some new names on here. Um, I I kind of didn't I kind of didn't pre mention this one to you, but next gen. Um, who like who's really coming at it in this next generation? I mean, on the women's side, it is it is so many people. I mean, there's a there's a say, lot of women who are like young that are playing pretty phenomenal tennis. Super high level, yeah. I would say, I mean, the first two that spring to mind for me would be Coco Goff and Amanda Anisimova. But I mean, even Naomi Osaka, I think, is probably still twenty one or, uh, or younger. I was gonna say, I think I, Naomi Osaka is only like twenty one or twenty two. Yeah. She's yeah, been on the scene he, for like two years, three years. Yeah, I mean, she's a household name at this point, but she's still so young. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much young talent in, in women's tennis for sure. I mean, Sophia Kennan as well, just won the Aussie Open, is huge talent. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people over there. I guess if I had to pick one that was that was gonna, you know, get above the rest, probably. Naomi Osaka just because her game is so complete and so polished at at such a young age um she's, she's super pop. fun to she watch as power well. too yeah yeah I think I think that's that uh that Australian Open final that she won not this past year but the one before was was just so impressive for her to back that that U.S. Open emotional sort of craziness with with a super impressive performance was crazy from a, from a person her age. Yeah. Definitely. I think she goes up and down a little bit sometimes, but um, I think that's just like her youth. Like, I don't, I don't think that'll stick around. I think once she figures it out, she'll figure it out. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> On the men's but, side, pick one yeah. of the 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The men's side, I guess, I guess is equally just as, just as big. Uh, one guy that I like a lot, and I'm not sure. I think he might be 22 at this point, but still super young is Demonauer. I think yeah. Alex Demonauer is is first of all, I think he's one of the most fun to watch tennis players out there right now. And uh, you know, if any of your listeners or anyone just interested in tennis hasn't seen any Demonauer, I would strongly encourage watching his highlights. They're so fun. But well, and his um, ATP Cup run was. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this guy, I mean, he beat Zverev, took Nadal to three sets. I mean, he, he performed insane in that tournament. Definitely played singles and doubles, um, like back to back. Wasn't it? Didn't yeah, he? that's right. To put, to put Australia into the final or the semi, one of the two, I think the semi yeah, put him in the semi. I think they lost to Spain in the semi. Yeah. 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 yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, that, I mean, amazing young player there, I guess. 
Another young guy, yeah. I mean, Tsitsipas is still incredibly young, and he is so talented. I mean, I think he's he's right there on the cusp with maybe Team and Zvera for for the next Grand Slam champion, maybe. Um, and he's, I mean, he's twenty one years old, maybe. What? Felix Auger Aliassime, yeah, insanely young and. His game is so complete already. He's had some ups and downs, but yeah, those guys are it's, are great. It's it's super hard to think of like some of these young guns who I feel like I've known forever. Like I feel like I've <laughs> known their name forever, and I'm like, Sitsi Pass is like 21. <laughs> what? And then yeah. even with like, I feel like I've I've been hearing of um, Shapo for like 10 years, and he's yeah. only like 22, if that. Yeah. Like, these guys are all still super – and team. Team's, like, what, three in the world? And I'm like, Dominic team should be, like – at this point, he seems like he's 28. You know? <laughs> I still th- – I don't need th- – I don't think he's 24. I think he's still, like, 23-ish. He's he's a young guy, yeah. for sure. And, the, I mean, he really, really, really had a shot at, at the Aussie Open title this year. I mean, he's been to the French Open Championship a couple of times. Um He's he is he's right there for sure in his career trajectory. Right I there. I actually just watched a video this morning of him playing um, with Tommy Haas at uh, Indian <laughs> Wells. They were like a practice session, and they were just exchanging one hand backhands, and I was like glued to it. It was like on Instagram, and it was like a, a forty five second video, and I think I watched it like six times. <laughs> it was like unbelievable. It was just like yeah. like I, like like I said practices, like watching practices and even you know this, like it, when they get on a roll, it's almost unbelievable like how they just don't miss and how easy you know, and how easy it is. It's not even hard. Yeah. Yeah, actually oddly enough I was I was literally thinking and going to mention the the live practices and and just seeing team like live right in front of your face and how the ball pops off that one-handed backhand is it's like otherworldly <laughs> i mean some of these guys the way they just generate power so easily i mean you hear a lot um about how federer makes it look so easy etc but i think there's really a lot of guys doing it nowadays that just they make it look so effortless but it's just so surreal how much they're actually getting from from each ball. Yeah, and even like watching like some practices and then watching how like when they warm up, they'll warm up from the baseline and they'll just like barely be swinging through the ball and it'll drop perfectly like on the service line hit the waist, <laughs> hit the waist to the person across and they'll just keep I think I watched like I walked in on like Sharapova practicing on like uh Armstrong or something once and she just started and I brought waters out there or something and I was like you're not even like swinging and you have more pace on the ball than I like than I've ever had. Like yep, I don't understand yep. how that even works. Um, yeah. Let's uh from the young to the old. Um, Wimbledon canceled. What's this mean for some of these old guys? The big three: the 38 Fed, 34 um, Nadal, and 32 Joker. Um, yeah. I mean these guys, they're running out of time. But what's that even mean for? I mean this especially hurts Federer, doesn't it? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I mean, I feel like I've been saying it every year since, what, 2012, I think, maybe he he won it that year. But I feel like I've been saying 
oh, maybe Federer's last chance at a major is Wimbledon. But then he wins another, he wins another, whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, as ageless as he has seemed to be, there is going to be a point where he does, you know, decline in his quality and, and he just can't really hang with the top guys anymore. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Wimbledon, we saw last year, he had a, he had a really good shot at winning another title. He should have won it. Sort of, he should have oh, won it. Heartbreaking. I, I, I cannot watch. I cannot watch that match. I cannot <laughs> listen to people talk about that match. It's definitely a heartbreaker. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely hurts his his chance to bolster his legacy as this sort of goat race continues, and they all sort of battle for grand slams. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say, Fed. It hurts by far the most. I would say this clay season even hurts Rafa a bit with, with the possible cancellation of, you know, Madrid, Rome and Monte Carlo tournaments that Rafa has generally dominated and, you know, a chance to sort of get on a roll instead, he's going to have to roll into a possible September, October French open after, you know, months off maybe, or, or who knows what's going to happen at that point. So, We'll see. I think everyone's sort of confused as to what's going to happen, but I mean, it definitely, definitely takes from Roger the most. I think it it, it could be an interesting dynamic going from, um, you know, if Rafa's got to go straight from the U.S. Open if he makes a big run at the U.S. Open again, whether he wins it or not, and then go straight into the French because the French is like ten, ten days or so after the U S open, like it's, I think it's less than two weeks. The French yeah. open starts. So, I mean, you make it deep into the U S open, you even make the semis, you got to turn around and practice clay for what, like a week and a half, two weeks, and then, um, jump in right into another, like huge bracket of another major at the French. Um, but I've, I've only talked about how, um, Federer's surgery could hurt him, but with all this COVID stuff, I know he's not getting any younger. But this could be do you do you potentially think like this could be a much needed rest for the for the guy just to you know rejuvenate and he, you know this could potentially add another year or two to his uh, to his tenure. Yeah, I mean, I I thought the same thing in 2016 when he took those whatever it was four five six months off at the end of uh, it might have been 2015 or 16, but um, when he took those months off. To recover, I thought, oh, he's getting older. He's maybe going to come back and play some tournaments and be fine. But he came back and and won some majors and really has looked like the vintage 2007, 2008 Federer since then in a lot of tournaments. And that might be happening again. Yeah, I mean, this this might provide him an opportunity to just, you know, take some miles off that body and just rest and be with his kids and and really just sort of you know get the 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 mileage down a little bit which yeah i mean who knows exactly how players are going to respond you know there's going to be rust you know immediately after things start up again but but yeah i mean if if it turns out that he needed some rest and this provided some then i think could add maybe another year onto what's already been an insanely long career yeah, sure. and and he was gonna rest anyway, but now that everyone's resting, um, it kind of worked out a little to his favor, where everyone is isn't getting you know 
substantially better playing each other for the next however many months. Like, he's not really skipping a beat, I feel like. He's just still chilling at home, and so is everybody else. Like, it, Yeah, that's like, a great point. Like, like, surgery couldn't have came at a better time, I don't think. Yeah. Like, play the Aussie Open, um, didn't win, but, you know, you still – you still get a have surgery and last an entire spring, if not summer season, and no one else, no one else is playing as well. Um, as we talk about this COVID stuff, um, a lot of things are getting pushed to this fall. I think even this morning I saw the Masters got pushed to this fall. My sister texted me and she was like, "This fall in sports means like I'm not getting anything done at work because <laughs> it is going to be phenomenal." Like, what is your expectations at this point? Um, for this fall, just in tennis itself, because if if they want to, you know, bring these Masters one thousands and the French Open into the fall, I mean, good luck getting me off that TV for a good three or four <laughs> months, right? Yeah, I mean, I I really don't know how they would do it, but it would certainly be amazing as a as a tennis fan for that to be presented to us, like. Do you want to watch the U.S. Open series swing where everyone's, you know, warming up on hard courts? Or do you want to watch, you know, these amazing clay Masters 1000 tournaments if they're happening at the same time? I mean, that would be that would be insane. But just to think about the scheduling of this, the the TV rights of this and just the massive amounts of travel required for all this is is just crazy to think about. I don't really know what to expect in terms of you know, what the tournament directors are thinking. I mean, tennis is super unique of a sport in that there are so many different locations and different individuals controlling, you know, what happens to each individual tournament, whereas maybe like the NBA or NFL has one entity where they can sort of, you know, stop things all together. And I think that's that's definitely interesting to think about, like what is going to happen with rescheduling and, and possibly, like you said, getting this overload of tennis in the fall is a super cool prospect for a fan, but just how it works out logistically is, is interesting. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, I think it's, I just think I like Stan Vavrinka because I see his Instagram posts and I see like how bored he is and how he's like posting <laughs> all these different things. And I'm like, you like these players will literally go from like nothing, like absolutely doing nothing. Like Gao Monfils is playing 20 hours of FIFA a day and <laughs> and then like they'll go to like like all these masters 1000s and grand slams like back to back to back to back to back and um I just think it's interesting and like let alone the travel and you know the time changes like it could be a very exhausting fall and just like the most like relaxing spring into summer they ever have but um yeah. Sticking with the Northeast, you live in New Jersey. Here's what I'm interested in. If I don't think this will ever happen, but it just popped in my brain. If um, if the Labor Cup is still the same time as the French Open, because the French Open went to that weekend that the Labor Cup is. Yeah. I know Fed's probably not playing in the French Open. So is this going to be like Federer and then like a bunch of next gen in the Labor Cup? And then like ticket prices go down i might have to fly out to boston for that <laughs> you're still going to see fed play but it's going to be a bunch of like against a bunch of like 18 19 year olds not a bad projection is it i i would love to see it i i definitely love the labor cup i love it so 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 much i'm super glad they've implemented it over the last few years um and i actually was planning on 
at least trying to to go to it in Boston because I have a friend that that goes to Boston University there who's a big tennis fan too. But I mean, the thought of that happening concurrently with the French Open would be I don't know whether to think it would be amazing or disastrous or both, but um, I think you would certainly have some of the older guys maybe um, and some of the maybe not quite there yet next gen, like you were saying, maybe some guys outside of the top hundred who don't really fancy their chances in a, in a grand slam. Um and having that mix, I guess it could be super cool now that you mentioned it. I hadn't thought about it either, but but yeah, realistically, I mean, some of these fringe guys are are um, immensely talented. I mean, I don't know what he's ranked right now, but there's a young Italian guy, Yannick Sinner. I don't know if you've a seen stud. much of him. Dude, he's a stud. stud. He's so good. He's a stud. But the possibility of having someone like him playing against, like you said, like a Fed or, I don't know, like a a different aging guy who's who's not really you know recovered yet fully it's, it's that would be really cool <laughs> yeah it's funny you mentioned sinner because i've talked about him on this podcast before like around the u.s open u.s open was really the first time i saw him play now I, I watched mm-hmm. him play i watched him play like early i think he I think he might have came through qualies and i just remember like how is your game that smooth? Like, how do you look? How do you look like you're 14 and you play and, <laughs> and you like you play like that? And I was like shocked by how good he was. And then I watched his match against like Vavrinka and how well he played. And I was like, this guy's got it. Like this guy, he'll he'll figure it out sooner than later, and he's gonna be dangerous. And I mean, shortly after that, signs a Nike deal. He's like top 50 in the world. He's he he'll be a he'll be a site to reckon with here within like a few years i think he's he's not next gen yet well he technically is but i still like put the spheriv and sitsi pass and the demonure and all them um in that category um i think that does it for us calvin um i think we touched on everything um where can everybody find you on social media um, yeah, I, I'm not a huge social media guy, but, uh, Calvin Spencer Alexander on Instagram, um, on Twitter, I'm Calv Alexander. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. And if you know Spanish, he does too. So <laughs> I didn't know that, but that would have been really nice to know when I was working at the U S open. I was like, yeah. I was like, uh, escorting like, uh, Lopez Feliciano Lopez mm-hmm. and I was just like I'm I can't help you sir like I'm just yeah I actually yeah, I, got I actually was able to to escort Roberto Bautista Agut as one of the you know few times that I filled in for escorts and uh I, I talked to him a little bit in Spanish so that was fun yeah I think it was this is a funny quick story quick I think it was uh Petra Kvitova I want to say I was escorting her and I said the word folks like excuse me folks and she looked at me and she goes, folks. And I was like, yeah, like people, like folks. And she was like, what is that? She goes, where are you from? And I was like, I like the Midwest. She's like, who says that? And I was, I like got back to the player ops. I was like, please tell me you guys say folks. Because I was like, I don't think it was that weird of a thing. And she was like, I don't think I've ever heard that before. And I was like, well, <laughs> sorry. But that, there's a lot of moments like that, especially as an escort or like our jobs where we do talk to players a lot, where we have different slang or ways we say things. And I, I got a few looks from players like, what'd you like? What's that word? 
That, yeah, that's another thing I loved about working the open is just so many different personalities from so many different places and interacting with all that was super fun. Yeah. And it all brings it right to New York. It's super interesting and it all brings it around to sport, which is cool. Um, at Believe Sports, this will be at Believe Sports, B L E A V, or at Believe Podcast. You can reach out to them at Believe.com or reach out to me at Jacob Sersosimo, C E R S O S I M O. I guess if you're listening to this, my name's on it, and so will Calvin. So it'd be hard not to find us. Um, uh, other than that, appreciate it, Calvin. I thought it was a good podcast, a lot of fun. Um, and thanks for joining us. Hopefully, sometime in the future, when this fall ramps up, I can have you on again. We can uh, chat a little bit going on, hopefully, during that Labor Cup. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 